that our the President of the United States and the First Lady both have contracted COVID and we need to be praying for our leadership. We need to be lifting them up because I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that at least from my political vantage point that the left, I'm sure, is going to do their dead level best to use this to their advantage. Uh, so with that said, please be praying for our leadership, be praying for our country, uh, be praying for this election coming up very, very shortly. And uh, if you have not registered to vote, you need to do that. And you need to get out and vote. Amen? Now, the next thing I just need to bring you up, or bring you up to speed with regarding uh, our goings-on is that our district bishop and his wife both have contracted COVID. So Bishop Carrico and Sister Paula have COVID-19, and we have actually had some family here in the church that was exposed to them, and so we need to uh, be praying for uh, uh, Brother and Sister Miles, not Troy and Tina, Elder Miles, okay? So let's be praying for them and uh, keep them lifted up, amen? Where, where am I? Am I? <laughs> we need to be praying for them. Amen. With that said, uh, I don't think there's anything else I need to apprise you of, but just keep everybody in prayer because we are in a critical time. We're a month out-ish from our election, and uh, the fate of our nation is looking down the barrel right now. So let's be praying about all this. Let's be praying for our leaders. Let's be praying for the body of Christ. And while you're in your prayer closets praying right here and right now open your bibles to the book of jude and we're going to go ahead and get into the word um i'm going to be treating this morning in an exegetical fashion in other words i'm going to be working through our passage of scripture uh verse by verse okay and i want you to open to jude and if you know anything about jude you know that it's little it is a little book it's, uh, it's only 25 verses long. And if you don't know where Jude is, because it's one of those books that you rarely ever go to or rarely ever see, it's go to, Re- go to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ and hang left. And you will find the book of Jude. Okay? Uh, with that said, I always, or 99.999% of the time, use NIV. I will be doing that this morning. And if you're running some other different version or translation, the NIV will be up behind me. Um, My text verse today is the entire book of Jude. Yep, the whole thing. So with that said, um, I would like to speak to you this morning, uh, and I think it's a particularly applicable time on a subject that I've simply entitled Contend for the Faith. Contend for the Faith. Now, with respect to Jude... Um, Jude was just a guy who had a rather famous relative. Jude was the brother, one of the brothers of Jesus Christ. Uh, He didn't believe his brother's testimony early on in Jesus' ministry. He just didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, uh, you can attribute that to 
the brethren in that family pretty much completely. They just didn't believe. They thought at one point in time he'd lost his mind, in fact. That is actual scripture. So with that said, here I want you to notice something about what Jude does in light of the fact that he was his brother and at the same time didn't believe in who Jesus was early on. Let's look at how he greets the brethren who are the recipients of this tiny book. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. You see, he identifies himself as a brother of James, but a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, he does that on purpose out of sheer, well, I didn't believe in him before, and I'm not really worthy to call him my brother now. So I'm just going to identify myself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what's going on there. He's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he identifies himself as a brother to James. So, with that said, we see where Jude's position is in all of this. He believes in his brother now. Amen? Okay. Now, something else that's interesting here um, is that Jude obviously was a contemporary of Peter and the rest of the disciples. He ran in the same crowd at the same time. So Jude knew Peter, likely good friends with Peter. Um, He traveled with Peter. He ministered alongside of Peter. He had discussions with Peter, etc., etc., as any uh, close-running relationship would be. And it's interesting that if later on today you want to do this, just hang another left out of Jude, kind of like you did out of the Revelation to find Jude. Hang a left out of Jude and go to Second Peter sometime today. It's only three chapters long. And read Second Peter. And find out if, it does, if Jude, the book of Jude, doesn't sound amazingly like Peter's second epistle. They had very uh, similar, sim- uh, similar terminology, content, etc. Um, Jude and Peter obviously thought a great deal alike because what you will find, depending on your translation, is that they actually use much of the same terminology in their writing. So with that said... I kind of view Jude, which is 25 verses, as opposed to 2 Peter, which is three chapters in length. Jude is kind of like the cliff notes of 2 Peter. You know? It's like, this is 2 Peter. Let's condense this down. This is Jude. Okay, is everyone here awake? We're good? Great. I just want to make sure that I'm not boring you uh, at all, because this is actually pretty good stuff. Because this isn't one of those books a lot of people quote out of. This isn't one of these books a lot of people frequent, Jude. But we should, because of the overarching message of this book, is an encouragement by Jude, the brother of Jesus, to contend for the faith. Now we'll get to contend here in just a second. I'm going to cover a couple of things right quick. There are three items of interest that we need to be aware of 
in the book of Jude. Three, if you're a note taker, three items of interest. Number one, we need to contend for our faith. We cannot, based on everything we know about Jesus Christ, just assume that everything we're hearing, doing, thinking, and saying is just in alignment. We need to contend against darkness. That's the first thing we need to know about the book of Jude. The second thing is we need to beware of godless men in the church. What we're going to find is that back here in Jude, and it's reiterated, well, actually it's reiterated in Jude. It's first spoken of in Second Peter. But what we're talking about here in Jude is that people... Specifically, as according to Jude, men have come in, they have slipped in. The NIV uses the word creeped into the church. And he goes in great length, as much great length as you can go into in 25 verses, in describing these individuals. So we need to beware of godless men in the church. And lastly, we need to be aware that the Lord will keep us. The Lord will keep us. And we will hear first reference in just a moment to that word, keep. Now, this letter is written to those who are, first and foremost, called. Second, loved. And third, kept. That's who the recipients of this letter is. People who have been called, people who are loved, and people who are kept. Now, that is in stark contrast to the subject of this letter of those who, one, pollute, two, reject, and three, slander. And it's fascinating who Jude points out as to who they are slandering and shows you a specific and very important example of a very powerful angelic entity who refused to slander. Notice the original intent that Jude had for writing this letter. Look back down at your books. Verse 1, the second half, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy and peace, mercy, peace and love, excuse me, be yours in abundance. Now look at this original intention. Verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. So when Jude sat down to write this book, he was sitting here thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to write about salvation with these people. We're going to talk about salvation. This is going to be the bomb. Okay, he didn't say that. The rest of you could laugh too. Just make me feel better. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate that. It was fake, but I appreciate it. Anyway, with that said, he's wanting to preach. I'm so, so eager to write to you about the salvation that you and I share. Because, man, what is, what's better than getting together with people, and I know this is a letter, but getting together with people and talking about commonalities that you all share, love, and are excited about? Man, we just love doing that. 
He says this, though, and he starts out that verse by saying, Although, although I was eager to write to you about salvation, the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So his original intent was the salvation that we share. But he was urged to change the subject matter of this little letter, and he, was, he wanted to urge you, the recipients of this letter, and by extension us, you and I, urge you to contend for the faith. Here's the question, the $64,000 question for this morning. Why did Jude feel compelled to change the subject matter of his letter to these saints and urge the saints to contend for their faith? Well, I think in order to really answer that, we're going to have to figure out what it actually means to contend for a thing. Now, when my wife put together the slide that's behind me, or was behind me, with the boxing gloves, I think everybody gets the idea what contention means. To contend for the faith. The word contend here is a Greek word, and it essentially means nothing more than to struggle. To struggle. So, let's just read what he said. I felt I had to write and urge you to struggle for the faith that once that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Okay, I've got to ask this question, and I'm not trying to to poke the the bear, or I'm not trying to stir up uh, um, uh, bad feelings or anything like that. But how often do you hear in today's ministry? 2020, 21st century Christendom, that Christianity is to be struggled to keep. As opposed to, I am blessed and highly favored, which is true. God is a God of glory and power and everything is hunky-dory and my life is all cotton candy, rainbows and unicorns. I promise you, if you send in $10 to this ministry, God will give it back to you a hundredfold. How many of you have ever had, you, you sent in, or you pay your tithe, or you, and God just said, well, they're so confounded faithful, I think I'm going to drown them in money. How many, how many have had that happen? Oh, look at them down there gurgling in that whole ocean of cash I just dumped on them. How many of you are doing that? How many of you are backstroking in your living room through your sea of cash that God blessed you with because you did something that someone else said, Oh, God's going to bless you if you'll just... Now, I'm, I'm getting a vibe here. 
that would probably be a big no. I've never accidentally inhaled $1,000 bills and had to have my wife give me mouth-to-mouth the Heimlich maneuver and such just to get the blessings back out of my lungs. It's never happened. And I'm getting the impression that none of you have ever had that happen too. You know why? Because that's not how it works. We have Jude, the brother of Jesus, writing a letter, small as it may be, telling people, I wanted so much to talk to you and just just talk to you about salvation, but I was urged to write you to contend for your to struggle for your faith. Anybody here work out? Okay, we have two people out of this entire congregation that work out. I'm going to embarrass my younger son right now so bad it's going to hurt. No, I'm not. I love you too much. But I so wanted to use you as an illustration. You know, I'm I'm really under the impression that Pentecostals as a whole think that because they shout and run around the church, that's exercise. I get the impression. When in reality, that's not. But for the two of you who exercise, why didn't you raise your hands? You did? I didn't see it. Okay. I was going to say, you kind of like, you guys, as a family, you guys are kind of like snort, smoke, and intravenously exercise. It's one of those deals, you know? The Paloses. They, so we've got four people. And, okay. You see, y'all are cowards because now you're just going, there's more people raising their hands, so I'm going to have to raise my hand now. I exercise. Oh, let me move my belly. I exercise. I know you. Come on. Good night. How many of you who exercise? Preacher? You guys? How many of you just... when It's not like, feel the burn. It's like, oh, this is glorious. Everything is just such a blessing. Right? No? Am I wrong here? Well, guess what? That's your Christianity. I know we have times of blessing. There are times, according to the Word of God, of refreshing. There are times when God's hand opens up and pours out upon His people. I know that. And I know that we are blessed and highly favored because we've been blood-bought and we are going to an eternity with Jesus Christ Himself in a position where we are in favor with God. I understand that. But Jude is telling us, you contend, you struggle for your faith. And there's reasons for that. We can't sit here on our laurels and thinking, oh, this is just wonderful. Have you watched the news? Come on. 
And he says this, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That means one time for all time. One time for all time. Now why do we need to go and contend for the faith? Verse 4. For certain men, certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. That's why. They are godless men. Godless. They have no God. They don't have Jehovah, and they don't have one of any million false gods either. They are godless. Who change, listen, who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Grace is so good, you can do anything you want. Because it's God's grace. He loves you. He died for you. Don't worry about that. And besides, if you do do something, you can just ask for forgiveness later. Let me tell you something. If you are of the mindset based on what you've heard from a pulpit somewhere, that you can go and sin liberally and come back and ask for forgiveness because God's going to forgive me. I'm going to do this now and ask for forgiveness later. Let me tell you something. You've already chosen your God. And your God is your carnality and your lust and your sinful nature. And you have enthroned those things. Your very lost nature is enthroned on your heart. And God is nothing more than an afterthought and a perceived insurance policy. I want you to know that heart will not be heard by God. You say, how can you say that? Because that is not a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance is a heart that's broken before God. I see who and what I am, and I recognize that you are the only Savior of my soul. And I acknowledge you as the only begotten Son of God. And I receive you into my heart. And then... You turn away. You turn away from that sin. Now in our condition, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I think that's where a lot of people get confused. That I can do whatever I want and He'll forgive me. No. 1 John tells you, do not sin. But if you do we have an advocate with the Father. Not certain men, godless men, whose condemnation was written about long ago. Those are not the same people. 
So if you're a person who has adopted the philosophy that I can get away with just about anything, and the Lord, oh, He's going to forgive me, you might want to rethink your theology. Amen? They've secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. How do you slip into a church, essentially eviscerate salvation, eviscerate grace, and simultaneously deny Jesus Christ? I don't know. I don't think I've ever been that lost. And I was lost. That was supposed to be funny. Make note to self. It wasn't funny. And then he goes and he gives three examples. Three examples of those individuals who have suffered punishment. In verses 5 through, uh, what is it, Uh, 7. Verses 5 through 7. He points out he points out the Egypt situation where while they were in bondage, the Hebrew nation in bondage to Hebrew, to Egypt, he delivers out his people, his words, his people out of Egypt, just to destroy some of them who turned their backs on God while in the wilderness. That's example one. Example two. Angels in heaven who... Now now try to wrap your head around this. While in the very presence of God for untold eons, they, they pick up on a rumor of a revolt, a coup, an overthrow. And they join that crowd. And God says... Jude explains the fact that God did what? Took those angels, chucked them into dungeons, clamped them down with chains until the day of judgment. Third example, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we all know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up. Gave themselves up up to sexual immorality and perversion, immorality and perversion. Then he, then he closes verse 7 down with, they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Why is it that we're contending? Anybody getting the idea? Anybody getting the idea? Okay. You see, this book typically is the book that we cite for angelic and demonic activity because angels went into the overthrow and were thrown into prison. That's about all Jude gets. But that's not what Jude's about. As a matter of fact, that example is just that. It's just an example to illustrate the importance of putting in the time and struggling for your faith. Moving on. In the same way, these dreamers... Now, we've already talked about this. Um... This is what these godless men who have crept into the church do. In the same, very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, 
and slander, listen to this, celestial beings. Slander celestial beings. Unbelievable. (laughs) The word reject here, or pollute, let me get to pollute, um, is to taint, to completely contaminate their bodies. And we all know in our society how people contaminate their bodies with sex of all different natures. Alcohol, drugs of every kind. Go elsewhere. Go to Romans chapter 1 if you want to know how people pollute their bodies or did in times past and how they continue to do the very same thing. They reject. They cast off. They reject authority. They cast it away, actively working against it. And then there is the slander, to speak evil of. Now, right there, he's like, well, okay, why is that particular one important? Why is that important? Well, let's look at how Jude illustrates that very one. Verse number 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. So the devil and Michael are actually in a dispute over the the body of Moses. This is an actual, literal confrontation between two celestial titans. Even Michael did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, look at this, the Lord rebuke you. There is something about celestial beings if even one of them won't slander another one of them. There's some things about celestial beings maybe we don't know about. Maybe there's some things that we shouldn't be taking so lightly about the angelic hosts and the the demonic hosts. Maybe we shouldn't be just talking so freely about how we're going to interact with them. How we would like to encounter an angel and what we would do to a demon if we ever encounter him. Maybe we shouldn't be going there because we don't know what we're talking about in its fullest extent, in three dimensions, in technicolor, right in front of our eyes. Have you ever encountered a demon? I have. You want to talk about contending? They can be a struggle. Because I'm telling you right now, there are eternal things in balance here, and they're not just up and willing to let go of what they possess. And if we are of the form and the type, well, number one, we can do whatever we want and God will forgive us through Jesus Christ. I'll ask for forgiveness later. And we're of the type where we are so arrogant in our Christianity that we can think that we can walk on water, raise the dead, spit in mud and put it on eyes and bring them back. If we're walking around that arrogant, maybe... Maybe that's we shouldn't be asking for these encounters. 
Maybe we don't know some things that we ought to take some time to look into. When Michael, Michael, won't even say anything beyond, Lord rebuke you, to the devil, a fallen version of him, maybe we need to stop. And find out what maybe we're really talking about. Because look at this. Verse 10, Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, meaning their natural man, like unreasonable, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. So the only things they really get is by their own innate human nature, their carnality, and they're going about life living in such a way where the things that they do understand are destroying them and they're so blind to the deception they're going out. Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. If you want to know what those are, I do not have time today. Look them up. Amen? Kind of like Second Peter, the read, later today. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along with the wind, autumn trees, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved. Now, do you rem- that's quite a description. But do you remember over here? In verse 4, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. You remember that line? Well, here's where it's written about. Verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam. I dare say that's a long ago. That's a long time ago. When you're the seventh descendant off of Adam and you talk about these men who Jude is writing about in modern times according to his timing, who still exists now? Listen prophesied about these men. See, this is the quote, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly, in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. So yeah, they've been written out long ago. Why is it? Because they're always with us. These kinds of men are always with us. And so we get way back in ancient history. Ancient history. Written about. These men are written about. I hear myself speaking right now. You don't hear it, do you? Her phone went off and I was on it. 
I heard myself. It was spooky. Just kidding. These people are always with us. These men are grumblers and fault finders. Now, nobody in the church grumbles or finds fault, do they? Heavens to Murgatroyd, no. And I don't even know who Murgatroyd is. They follow their own evil desires. That's all they're out for. They boast about themselves. And here's, here's a modern day description of what lots of people do today. And flatter others for their own advantage. There's a word for that. How many of you have ever heard or used the word sycophant? That is, that is to flatter and to treat others endearingly under the false pretense that you're going to get some benefit out of it. That is, by definition, a sycophant. So, although the word isn't particularly ancient, the practice is. And now we come to the end of this little letter. Now we come to the end. And Jude says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, quote, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires, end quote. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Can I give you just a quick pointer before I conclude? If you hear in the body of Christ, and I'm not talking about just Calvary Worship Center, I'm talking about in the body of Christ. If you hear a dissenting voice, a voice that is purposely divisive, that's not to say people can't have different opinions and different ideas. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intentionally divisive speech. Things that will cause damage in God's body. Everybody hearing me? When you hear that, don't Give accusation. Give notice. Be aware. That is not Christ-like. That is not kingdom. That is not the way Jesus would do things. And that is not body. When someone intentionally decides to start dividing, you need to take notice of that person. You need to recognize I don't know what's wrong with that situation, but that's wrong. And then beware. Beware. Why? Because we have been told to struggle for our faith. And this isn't all fun and games. When you hear that, beware. Now, verse 20. This is how you contend for the faith. What you're about to hear is, what you're about to read, is how you contend for the faith. But you, dear friends, 
build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Don't let atrophy get to your faith. Don't let the vines and the grass grow up around your faith. Don't you let birds start nesting in your faith. You build yourselves up in your most holy faith. I believe, perf- I believe completely that in the use of the word build yourselves up, he means add to. If you're going to build, you're adding to. So add to your most holy faith. And how do you build faith? What does the Bible say in an extremely familiar text say about your faith? Faith comes how? By hearing what? I'm going to tell you something. If you're listening, if you're building yourself up or attempting to build yourself up and you're not using God's Word, you're not building anything. You have a castle built on sand. God's Word is the one thing that will build up your most holy faith. And that means if you hear it coming from me, if you hear it coming from my son, if you hear it coming from the former pastor of this church, or you hear it coming from any one of a million other Bible-believing, Christ-centered, blood-washed individuals, if they're preaching God's Word, build your faith up with that. Because nothing else will build it. Amen? So, build up uh, yourselves in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. And pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how many of you here are actually Holy Ghost baptized. I don't know. And frankly, it doesn't necessarily matter if I know. But what I do know is what Romans chapter 8 says about why you pray in the Holy Spirit. I promise you I'm almost done. Verse 26. Jay does not have this scripture. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. The reason I say that is why it's not going to be here. If you have a Bible, flip to it. But if it's on your phone, go there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember, Remember, this whole discussion so far above Romans 8 and 26 is talking about the groaning and the longing of all creation to be redeemed. That's what it's talking about. So here it is, and he opens up verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Creation, all of it, is suffering weakness and is groaning to be redeemed. Well, guess what? How many of you have a few aches and pains and would long to be restored in the presence of God? Okay, the rest of you are happy here. Cool. I hurt more than I don't in my body. And that's a fact. Ask my family. I hurt more than I don't. But guess what? I'm not going to allow that to stop me from doing this because Jude told me to contend for the faith. Man, until I've given my blood for Him and check out of this place, I'm going to do what I can while I can. Okay, I just yelled a lot. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. 
But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Verse 27, And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So it's in our hearts. Is known by the Spirit. And the one who searches our hearts knows the Spirit. Well, he ought to. He's one of the three. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So, while we're building ourselves up in our most holy faith, we build it up with the Word and we pray in the Spirit because you know what? Sometimes when I'm praying about this, for example, political environment we're in, I know what I want to pray. I know what I want to see. But I am not the sovereign God of all creation and I have to pray in such a way that aligns myself with Him. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves. Listen, did you hear that? Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Then some final instructions. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. You know what fear means right there? It's not... You're probably thinking, yeah, probably fear. It means to be afraid exceedingly. It means terror. Why? Because weren't we just told, snatch others from the fire and save them? That's something to be afraid of. That's something, but we're not motivated by the lost in fear and terror. That person could go to hell and burn and be horrified by that fact. We're not motivated that way. But he says for us to do it. Then we're going to close. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without and with great joy. Boy, that's our that that's it right there. That we through the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep us. Now wait a minute. Didn't verse 1 say something about that too? To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. We start out with the keeping power of Jesus. We close out with the keeping power of Jesus. And between the two, we are told to keep ourselves in God's love. In other words, these men who have always been with us, who have been prophesied from back at the seventh individual from Adam, Enoch prophesied about their judgment. They've always been with us. We need to struggle to keep ourselves. Struggle, contend, to keep ourselves in the faith. And when we do that thing, when we make that effort to keep ourselves, not being deceived into thinking that we can do what we want, do away with salvation, and deny Christ, when we avoid those things, we are keeping ourselves. And then He is empowered to keep us from falling. Not because of, but in conjunction with. We show the fact that we want to be with Him. He shows His love toward us. Amen? Jesus.
Hallelujah. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. No fault. How many of you walk around sometimes feeling like you have fault? That God's not happy with you? That you've done something and God's, oh man, God is annoyed with me. In the blood of Jesus, no fault. You've heard of no fault protection. Thank you. And with great joy. We're not going to walk in cowering. When we bow, we're probably going to be hard-pressed to stay bowed because we have such joy. And he's probably going to be ecstatic to see us. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice, for it is before noon. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Struggle to keep yourself in a place that is in right alignment with Christ. Don't cast off His blood. Don't turn your back on Him. him, For that will not keep you in a place in alignment with Him. You must struggle. Fight the enemy is what Jude is trying to tell us. Those poor men, I know probably the wrong terminology, the poor men who are those men who have crept into our midst, those men are nothing more than deceived. And they're damned as a result. Let us keep ourselves in alignment with the Word of God, praying in the Spirit of Almighty God. Amen? Father, we love You and we praise You. We glorify Your name because You are God. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our acknowledgement. You are worthy because you are God. You have created all things, and if you didn't create it, it wasn't created. You've created it all. And Father, we desire in our heart of hearts to heed the word of the Lord. And Father, contend for the faith that has been given to us so that we don't fall prey to deception. Father, we ask today that you would minister to us all collectively. Keep us walking down the path that is straight, it is narrow, it it leads to the gate where few find it. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. And I ask this over all my brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you would minister to them in health. Father, that you would you would keep them in health. Father, if any are sick, restore them according to the will of God. And touch today, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Help us all to be a light in a darkening world. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen and amen. You all are dismissed. If you have an opportunity, welcome the Paloses back into our congregation. It's so good to see you guys. So good to see you guys. God bless.